Hi, my name is Amy Berry, and I am your host of Purpose Driven Law. If you're new here, welcome and thank you for joining. I designed this podcast to create a faith-based community within the plaintiff legal industry and share the stories of thought-provoking leaders who lead their personal and professional lives by their faith. I want to provide impactful content for those seeking purpose by sharing the experiences of those who have, exploring how their faith and purpose impacts their decisions, how they handle their clients and leaderships within their businesses and their homes. I want to know what their why is, how they discovered it, and tools and strategies on how they pursue it. A life that is built off faith looks differently to everyone, doesn't matter what their religious background is, ethnicity, or life story. I'm intrigued and inspired by people who lead by their faith, purpose, and values. We are all uniquely and wonderfully made and called for a higher purpose in this life. Welcome to Purpose Driven Law. Remember, you can find my podcast on my YouTube channel iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the third episode of Purpose Driven Law. Before we get into it today, I just want to thank each and every one of you who have supported the show thus far. I could never have imagined this much support right out of the gate, so thank you. This guest is someone who is very near and dear to my heart. (laughs) She knew me when I was at my rock bottom and really helped me turn my life around. I don't think I would be here today without her and her mission. If I cry during this episode, it's just, it it touches me that way. (laughs) I was in my third year of university and Needless to say, I had no hope. I was a full-time student while trying to run my own business, scrambling to make ends meet and no family connection or faith for that matter. I'd fallen away from my faith and fell into a life of drug abuse, bodybuilding, which led to eating disorders and toxic relationships. I went through a period of my life where I didn't speak to my mom or my family for a long period of time, and then I got connected to a Bible study group at the University of Calgary called Athletes in Action, and that is where I met Blenda. Blenda presented us with the opportunity to go to Rwanda and help her run the missions within Hope Rwanda. It would take a whole other episode to dive into exactly what happened to me on that trip, but what I can tell you is that when I came home, that was really the start of my new life. I was never the same. Glenda and her husband, Ralph, spend about half of their time every year in Ethiopia and Rwanda. Yes, Glenda spends six months of her time in Rwanda and her husband in Ethiopia, that other six months they both spend together in Calgary, Alberta. They have been married for now over 40 years and have three children. Though Glenda is not an attorney or in the legal space, Hope Rwanda and Hope Ethiopia is going to have a lot to do with purpose-driven law 
and our main charity source within this organization. Glenda, welcome to Purpose Driven Law. How are you doing today? Wow, um, <laughs> I'm doing well, and that was quite the intro. Um, <laughs> of course, we walked through that season of your life together, but I hadn't heard uh, you put it that way. Um, and yes, it choked me up, actually. So you and I both may have tears during this interview. <laughs> yeah, well, now I wish I put on my waterproof. <laughs> but it will all be good. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And yeah, I just can't be more excited for this episode and for what you guys are doing, both in Ethiopia and Rwanda. Um, so with that being said, why don't we start that out with our first question? Why Rwanda? Why why pick Rwanda? Why Ethiopia? Uh, that's, the, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, it's interesting because over the years I've had a lot of exposure to doing um, doing mission related work overseas, and that all began with um, with an opportunity that I had to actually be a chaplain in a, in a, at Masters Academy in college, which is a private Christian school in the city. And part of my portfolio was to actually establish a missions program. And um, it was quite interesting. In the first year, we went from taking one team overseas to uh, having six teams, um, one that worked locally and five that went overseas. And uh, in the process of leading, um, that meant I also traveled with, with youth and young adults um, overseas. We had about 100, 100 kids every year participate. And yeah, it was really cool. And it, um, and exposed this, uh, this girl from the prairies who never did any traveling to the, to the big, wide, wonderful world that's out there. And uh, little did I know that that was going to be um, the way God would get me out there and get my feet wet in that, in that realm. And so, um, but I have to say the first time I ever went to um, Africa uh, was in Kenya, Kenya in 2002. I really, this is so weird. I kind of got the sense of coming home. Like it, it was, it's now when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, it was pretty obvious. God was going to call us to East Africa from that experience. And, um, but anyways, I went to Kenya in 2002. Um, my husband and I connected with the amazing caretaker from the school who is this very humble, sweet, holy man that just prays the whole time he's going through the school as he's cleaning up after everybody else's mess. And uh, he shared a vision that he got when he was actually in Kenya in a refugee camp in Eastleigh, um, where he just had this amazing encounter with Jesus and this opportunity he just Jesus just said okay I want you to actually create a children's village um, in Ethiopia I want you to have a village for all the orphans because you know at this time there's probably about 40 million of them in that nation and um, and so that was that was like years ago that was 30 years ago and but he shared that vision with us in the late 90s and we're just like, well, we'll, we'll pray with you about this, right? And uh, from that point on, our hearts grew and grew and grew for Ethiopia. 
and stepped into that country in 2008 with a proposal that many of us have put our hands and hearts to. And uh, in 2008, the government said, awesome, let's do this. So, but in 2009, um, a very dear friend of mine, um, actually a professor I worked with at Providence Theological Seminary, said, I wanna take a team of counselors, counseling students, professors to Rwanda to teach crisis and trauma intervention. And I didn't even pray about it. I'm just like, yes, I'm in, because I just love this prof. And um, anyways, uh, we went with a team of 14 and I was utterly wrecked, like just wrecked. And with all of the experience that I'd had, working in developing nations over the years, I was like way more devastated by that trip than any of the others. And um, that friend of mine actually said, well, what did you expect? You know, God brought your mother heart to a land of orphans. Like, <laughs> of course you'd get ruined here. <laughs> And, and so I came back home and um, I shared with my husband my experience and, uh, and I just felt, almost, actually I felt guilty because I'm like, okay, here we've started to work in Ethiopia. Now what is going on? My heart has been just destroyed. And um, I told him, I said, you know what, honey, I, I feel like an adulteress, like I've fallen in love with another people. And, and he's just like, what? what are you talking about? And I said, I don't know. I cannot shake Rwanda. I can't shake her people. And um, so I basically prayed into it for a year. And then I went back to Rwanda with our youngest daughter, who's just very, very spiritually discerning. And it was on that trip where everything really started to unfold. Um, our hearts really grew for the women who um, were involved in survival sex trade, who just had no other way of feeding their kids. Um, and uh, it was actually our daughter, Kathy, who said, mom, let's just take these ladies out. We'll hire them for the evening and we'll go for dinner and a movie and we'll go to the spa. And, and I thought, yeah, that's really great. But then what, you know, what do we do after that? Because we can't give them one night of hope and then nothing. Yeah. And so then we, after stepping back into the country another year later, with the intention of setting up an international NGO, the Minister of Youth said, I want you to actually go out and meet the young men on Iwawa. And I'm like, what's in Iwawa? <laughs> <laughs> My first thought. <laughs> I was like, where are we going? <laughs> what is this place this island in this middle of this lake between the Congo and Rwanda like where what are we doing here right which was the most terrifying boat ride of my entire life <laughs> you take your life in your hands right oh my goodness <laughs> but we made it we survived crazy stories too yeah oh my goodness you guys played your hearts out on that on that island it was amazing oh yeah we'll go more into that later in the episode okay okay yeah. Yeah. I like 
<laughs> oh my goodness this is quite the island isn't it Amy like I mean it's it's an island full of um, young men who are really struggling with substance abuse and um, a lot of them were street kids a lot were homeless orphaned and the government basically offers this rehab program that also includes vocational skills training and I mean I knew nothing about it when the minister said you should go out there and so anyways, he put the bill for me and my husband and um, a couple of other um, young women to join us out there. And um, we met all these amazing young men that just were opportunity-less, you know, mm -hmm. and um, that really want to change. And um, within a very short visit on that island, um, I, I left with with the name Mama Iwawa, which just again destroyed me. I'm, I tell you, I cried all the way back from the island on that boat trip, um, just realizing that you know uh, at that time there were over two thousand young men, um, realizing that these men just needed to be loved. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh my goodness! I know it's just like they just really needed a mom. You know, like yeah. someone that would just hug them when they needed a hug and someone who might kick them in the pants if they needed that, you know, but just someone that they felt safe with that they could um, that they could actually do life with. And um, anyways, that opened up a whole a whole other can of worms. And I realized that really the call the call on, I think, my life was to work with the most marginalized youth in Rwanda. Um, these young women that wanted out of the sex trade, these young men that just really wanted a new lease on life. Um, and the doors were flinging wide open for us to do that. Like we were being invited into these opportunities. Um, and so why Rwanda? Because I really felt God called me there specifically to that demographic of people too. And, and their kids, you know, like they, they all have kids. They were young people. They were kids raising kids. And um, yeah, that's why Rwanda. Wow. Yeah. Um, to give our listeners a little bit more insight on what the island of Iwawa is like. Um <laughs> So you have to drive down to, remind me of the town, again, Lake, Lake Kivu. It's Lake Kivu, and we, we drive like three hours sort of north to the, it's a small city of Gisenyi. Yes, yes. So you have to take, like Glenda said, three-hour bus drive to Lake Kivu, which is right on the border of the Congo. And mm -hmm. when we went down in 2017, that was when a lot of the guerrillas were getting closer and closer to the Rwandan border, correct? There was a lot of um, upheave. And so um, a little bit of a, it wasn't a, I never felt unsafe, but it was definitely mm. like you could feel the energy. Everybody was like a little on edge there. Would you mm. say that? Yeah. And that that's always like this area of tension there. You know, yeah. there's always stuff going on in that region. But at that time, yes. And by 
M as interested by gorillas. It's not like the big black yeah. type, right? It's like <laughs> that live in, but which who also live in those volcanoes area. But but it was yeah, like there was guerrilla warfare going on in in that area. Yeah, yeah, which was um, crazy. On our flight back, there was a UN lady that was sitting in the row in front of me, and she was doing work in the Congo, and she was talking about how what their experience was with um gorillas in the schools and kidnapping kids within school yeah so anyways but so we had to take this little I would call it like a fishing boat is that how you would (laughs) it's it's interesting because it's actually the marine police boat (laughs) fishing boat (laughs) excuse me and so like 10 or 12 of us athletes piled into this boat and we have like football kids in there. We have like girls wrestling team. You have me, who's a bodybuilder. You have the volleyball girls in there. Just like this uneven. And then, you know, it started to get a little choppy and that's when things started to become really interesting. And it was just like, wave after wave after water splash coming in hitting us in the face and we just get there and we're like holy crap and then we're piling off of this boat and all of a sudden we start hearing these drums and it's all of these men like welcoming us with like this milk and this drums and this entrance saying like mazunga mazunga like welcome (laughs) giving us hugs and clapping and dancing and Oh, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was like such a near and special time in my heart. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, I like I was in bodybuilding. And so I saw these guys that were, you know, who made these makeshift weights with their bamboos and their black yeah. cement and they're doing like yeah, coffee cans. Yes. And they're trying to throw the bar. And so I go up to them and I'm like, can I try? And it's like their first time ever seeing a white girl pick up or like touch a weight. And I just do like a clean press. And I, I never had so many marriage proposals in my whole entire life. Will you have a boyfriend? I'll marry you. (laughs) I'm crazy. You don't want me. (laughs) Yeah. But like, just to go back on your point, I'm just like, you know, all that these men want and yearn for is that love and connection and just Mm -hmm. like somebody to sit down with them and you know just listen to their story and just Mm -hmm. hey I care and when I describe my time in Rwanda and it's like oh I went to on a mission trip in Rwanda and it's like oh mission trip like you push bibles on people and you prayed over people it was like no it's just like you tell people that they're loved and that they're wanted and you just like sit and connect with them and just say, Hey, I'm here. Maybe Mm. that's like holding their hand or putting your hand on their shoulder and just being like, I love you because Christ is in me and Christ loves you. Therefore I love Mm. as your Mm. sister, as your brother, as your, you know, as your friend and, you know, I think that's just something that 
you know, when somebody is so lost and when their whole life has been taken away from them and, you know, just life has really served them with the short end of the stick to hear that that can really be life-changing mm. is just to hand out that hand of hope. And that's all that you're doing there, Mama Glenda and Rwanda. <laughs> you know, you are just being like the the servant of a mother, the love of a mother. And, you know, you're, you're really changing lives, as, you know, including mine and just so many others in countless other ways. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question. What is the most profound miracle God has done? in your life within this mission? Well, you know that, that man, your questions are so good. Um, yeah. Um, I, I just want to be really honest here. Like I have really had the amazing privilege to witness some crazy, amazing things. Like I, I have literally seen blind eyes open. I have seen cripples people that were crippled healed you know i've seen um you know i've seen like women that we work with that have been hiv positive for years and now they're negative you know i've i've seen um you know young men with schizophrenia who have been healed like you know trauma related mental illnesses like just healings i've seen too many to even number mm -hmm. and um but i have to say that probably here we go again the greatest mir miracle i think i've i've experienced is the change in me like <laughs> which is which is interesting to think and sounds kind of snotty but um you know but i think when i think about like who I was before I knew whose I was mm. Mm. and where I could be today if I didn't know that there's this extraordinary loving father that loves me with all my flaws and brokenness and all my pimples and you know all the ugliness that comes along with Glenda and he just like I just, I just love you. Like I fearfully and wonderfully created you and you're precious to me. And it's just like, it's about who you are and not what you do. Um, and you know, like that is just so crazy freeing, Amen. you know, like totally freeing. It's like, I don't have to be with somebody. I mean, I'm weird. I'm, I'm just weird. And I mean, who, who can get me like, especially like what I do. And it's like, but you know what? I was created to be this and, and just to know that I am this precious daughter, chosen precious daughter of God. It's like, I can just be who he made me to be. Mm. And I don't have to apologize. I can be as weird as I want. Like I, Years ago, my, my poor kids went to the same school I was a chaplain at. My son one day said, you know, my friends think you're a freak. And I was like, awesome. Wow, that's so great. There's so much freedom in being a freak. And I mean, there was a time in my life where I would have been heartbroken that my son said my, his friends think I'm a freak. 
But I thought, wow. And I, I realized, wow, I think so much healing had happened in me. I used to be very performance motivated and whatever. It's like, just be who you are and just offer that back and just watch what God will do with just a simple person like me. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That leads perfectly into my next question. Mm. Can you lead or can you, can you share with us a bit on your testimony? Because I remember you telling us your testimony and, you know, just how you found God and how you and Ralph decided to, yes, that we want to commit our lives to this, to this mission, because correct me if I'm wrong, weren't you both atheists before? <laughs> well, it's, it? it's interesting because we, we, um, we were raised Catholic. Okay. Okay. And then um, our young, our young, our eldest daughter, sorry, was born and we went through all the motions and she was baptized and um, really tried to pursue that, that route. But there were some, just some issues within the church that we were kind of struggling with. And um, I actually, one day I said to, said to my husband, I'm going to go to every Catholic church on the west side of Calgary before I ditch it. I said, I'm frustrated, but I, before I step away from this, I'm going to ex get a full, a full meal deal. I'm going to experience all of the churches on the west side of the city. And um, in one of the masses that we attended, there was just a, unfortunately, we had an interaction with someone in the church that kind of frowned again, frowned upon the fact that we had little kids that were active in church. And I actually looked over at Ralph and said, I'm going to the playground and I'm taking the kids. Uh, you're welcome to join us if you'd like, but otherwise we'll be there. So he's like, I'm coming too. So we went out to the playground and I said, I can't do this. I need to be in a space um, I need to be in a space where everyone is welcome. Hmm. And if our kids aren't welcome, then this isn't the place for us. And so that then took me on this journey, actually, to disprove Christ. Ah, uh, that's right. Okay, that's it. Yeah. So I started reading everything by I could find written by disgruntled priests. <laughs> And I decided, okay, this is it. And it, it was- I love the fact that you did that, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. Oh. <laughs> like, I love the fact that you challenge the church and you challenge information because mm. that's how you really understand yourself and understand your faith. And that's when you really make it personal and so true. your relationship, which is everything that I, that I base my faith on. Sorry to interrupt. Keep no, going. it's so true though, isn't it? Because it's not yeah. yours otherwise. Correct. It's, it, it's more a cultural thing, right? It's like, I was raised this way yeah. rather than I own this, you yeah. know? And so sure enough, I read all of this stuff that I could find. And, um, and after a year of doing that, I just thought, you know what? I should probably read the Bible before I throw it out the window, right? And uh, so I started reading the Bible and my, my friend and neighbor who lived up the street 
uh, she knew I was struggling with all this. And, and she said to me, you know, why don't you come to our church? My husband was raised Catholic and we just think it might be a good fit for you. And I was kind of like, whatever. We waited for them to go on vacation. And we went and checked out the church because we did not want to have a tie to the church in case we didn't want to go back there. So at the end of the, the service, speaking with the, the pastor and his wife noticed us and wanted to talk to us. And we spent three hours talking in the vestibule of that church. And I just pummeled him with questions, all the questions that I hadn't had answered. And he had a, an answer for every one of them. And so we continued to go back and it was there that, that we really started to know who Jesus really, really was. And, um, and it was actually through, like, it's interesting what you were talking about, you know, uh, your experience with the man and just being with them, like the power of presence is mm -hmm. astonishing. And I felt like I really had this amazingly profound encounter with Christ reading John four, you know, the woman at the well. And I just felt like, I mean, not that my history was the same as the woman at the wells, but I felt as though I was her sitting with him, engaging with him. He was, he could follow every tangent I was taking and every question I had and just responding with, well, I'm here and I love you and I want the best for you. And everything shifted at that point. And so at that point, I was um, 29 years of age when I really feel like I came to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And everything changed. Everything changed. Like what? Um, definitely. And it's interesting. We're talking about purpose and stuff like that. For sure. It just seemed like all of a sudden my life really had meaning. Mm -hmm. It was much bigger than me. It's not just about me, you know? Um, yeah, I had, I had purpose. And at that point, I had no idea what that really meant. I just waited and it's like, okay, what's the next step? Just one step at a time. And who could have ever imagined that I'd be in this place now where I get to love on people so intentionally in Rwanda? Yeah, that's so true. I really feel like I'm in that space in my life right now. Like mm. I'm really earning, yearning and asking those questions daily and praying over it continuously of like, Lord, what is my purpose? Mm. What is my destiny? Send me dreams, like mm. desire is for me. And, you know, because really I'm such an intentional person that if I don't have passion behind something, I lose interest like right away. And I'm so ADD that I will try 12 <laughs> other different avenues, just kind of scrambling like Alice in Wonderland down the dine, down the time warp until something sticks or like three yeah. stick. And I'm like, okay, let's try all of them at the same time. But yeah, just being like more intentional with things and removing myself from that from that mm. equation and just sitting and listening and just allow allowing myself to be guided. Mm. Um, and sometimes that takes us 
to just zipping our lip and just quieting everything around us. Oh my goodness, for sure. Like yeah. that. Yeah. I I need a lot of that time. Like yeah. um I'm I'm an I'm an introvert at heart. So I think it probably comes easier to me. Mm-hmm. Um but I just um yeah honestly I um if what I sense needs to be done doesn't align with what God is showing me actually in scripture. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not of him. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really have to know, like, it's interesting, if, you know, if I were to, to share like everything, like our, the entire plan for our project, it is so it's, comp- it's so scripturally based. It's just interesting to see how he just kept giving me more and more and more in that regard, because he knows that's why, the way I'm wired too. And that's, that's the thing I love too, is when, is when it's like, okay, I, I feel like this is my purpose and it totally aligns with our, with the, our passions, right? Like my purpose aligns with my passion. Like I'm it, like mercy and compassion is probably my number one gift. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love the fact that I've been called to something that's a very compassionate, um, justice ministry really like it's about setting things right you know but it's it's all has to do with just being still knowing he is god and just being present with people and bringing that peace with you you know like yeah i love, I love that, that. Um, so I know that you've given us a little bit of light on what the projects that you're working on in Rwanda and the seeds you've been planting there over the years um can you go into a little bit more detail with us on what the specific projects are where they're going and what you're focusing on right now okay sure um there's sort of uh there's there, there are four primary areas of focus, um, but they're all integrated too. Um, so we work with um, young women who really want to get out of the sex trade. Um, we, we serve them by providing training um, tail- for tailoring. They love tailoring. They're really creative and they're great marketers. I can tell you that. And um, they, so they learn tailoring, but we also provide like counseling because so many of them are, are, you know, being suffered so much violence and trauma in their lives. Um, So counseling's provided life skills, business skills, female reproductive health, all that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. So we serve them by providing basic skills and vocational training. Um, We also put their kids in school so we pay their school fees so that's that's a second aspect we we care for their children and help to propel that next generation forward through education if you don't mind me asking how much are school fees for one child Um, it depends on whether they're in primary school nursery school primary school or um, secondary school and then we also have some kids that we're now sponsoring in university. So that's, that's more expensive. Um, but it primary, it, like, um, uh, like kindergarten to grade six and mm-hmm. second, like six to 12. 
Yes. Yeah, so they, yeah, they divide it into, uh, so primary, yeah, is the first six and secondary is the second six grades. And then um, there's a nursery school that is like for age three, four, five-year-olds, which would, so that would include like kindergarten age. Um, and then of course, post-secondary school, it really depends on what school the kids get into. And post-COVID, there just really hasn't been a lot of opportunity with government funding. So yeah, that's that's tight these days. But um, so like um, the little guys, it can, it's less than $20 a month for them to go to nursery school. Um, the other kids, the, the primary, um, primary school kids, uh, $40, uh, secondary 50, and then post-secondary, it really depends. Yeah. And that of course covers all their school fees, all of their, um, their school equipment, their supplies. It even also helps them with um, medical, like they actually have insurance there. You can buy insurance for, for everyone there, which is great, public insurance, but, um, but we have to pay for that. So that also covers that. And then also helps out in emergency situations with medical. And sometimes there are other issues that come up like rent and food and those yeah. kinds of needs. So yeah. yeah, so it really ends up helping the, the kid very holistically. So it's not just school fees. Sure. Um, yeah, so we do that with uh, the women and the children, and um, we have over 140 kids that we're sponsoring currently. Wow. And um, we've uh, had some even graduate university. That's amazing. Like, can you imagine? I mean, these these women who have like haven't even got say grade three level education no one in their family has finished high school and now they've got university grads in their homes. Like, yeah. it's yeah. astonishing. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, so those are the two aspects, uh, those are two facets of the, the ministry. And then uh, we also serve these young men that come, most of them from come from Iwawa, but we've been receiving other men from other government rehab programs as well. So they graduate from the rehab program, they come to live with us at Iwachu Hope Home, which means um, a place of belonging. Uh, they come and they live with us. We, again, provide counseling and it's really culturally contextualized counseling. Let it, it's a model of therapy that was developed in the Great Lakes region of Africa, totally addresses all of the ethnic conflict related issues. Um, we've seen profound impact on our people since we started working with this social therapy group about four years ago. And um, so we work with these young men and help them to get established in their, in a job, help them get established in their own home in the community. If they have, um, as we take the homeless and orphaned guys, but if they happen to have extended family we help them reconcile with those family members. Um, as you can imagine, like with addiction issues, there's always conflict um, between those that you love. Um, and um, so we help reconcile and, and hopefully bring them back together as well. Yeah, and then they're off to a start. And we've had over 500 men come through our program since 2014 now. And, um, and then the, but the, the fourth aspect of our project is, um, is a permaculture 
um, which, which is an interesting, um, there's not a lot of people that really understand what it is, but it's basically um, a short form of permanent culture. And if most people, if they're, they've even heard of it, they're gonna think of that it's primarily related to agriculture. But actually it's about um, agriculture and how it connects with the way of people and indigenous species ways of being. So it's like, how do we actually do life together and do it in a responsible manner? So we're stewarding um, everything that's being entrusted to us. So, um, so what that actually looks like is, is basically like conservation agriculture, where we are attending to indigenous species that are growing on the land. Um, it's about teaching people how to actually um, get the most out of what is growing locally mm -hmm. um, uh, so that it will benefit them, but also how can they benefit the land? How can they be growing soil in order to sort of, you know, sequester carbon? I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a full meal deal. It's like, how do we actually live together and tend the land, steward the land, steward the lives that are entrusted to us so that everything is transformed for the better. Wow. I know it seems really, it seems very idealistic, but it's possible. I really believe it's possible. And even well, the you guys of, are making it happen, right? Like you're, yeah. you've seen proof of this yes. working. So yes. it's not like you're just this crazy lady coming on here talking about this. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a bit of a crazy lady though. Some people go, gross soil. What are you talking about? It's like, yeah, it works. It really works. And you yeah. know, like like we've got a medicinal garden on site as well. And we're, you know, teaching people about how to use what God has blessed them with growing right on their land. Like, don't need to visit a drugstore. You know, yeah. it's it's all there. And um, yeah, um, and at the same time, fostering the culture that they have. Their culture is rich and beautiful. It's, um, I mean, I think, unfortunately, Rwanda is known for the genocide against the Tutsis, but in reality, the culture is about unity, and it's unity and diversity. And so how do we, you know, that plays out in how we engage with the land, with with what grows on the land, including all of the animals, all the critters that are running around too. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, can you share with us more on, um, yeah, give us insight on how you're, you guys are utilizing permaculture right now within your new project. You and I spoke a little bit about it on the phone, but I, I just, I can't explain it. So. <laughs> there's a lot too it isn't there yeah hundred percent hundred percent but yeah it's it's incredible so why don't you share with our listeners on what you guys are focusing right on right now as your project sure. yeah so our so our son Kevin and his partner Natalie are really passionate about permaculture um, I feel like I'm learning more and more from them all the time but they were recently in Rwanda they spent two months there and um we're really relying on them to do the architecture for the permaculture project. So we're we're currently we're we're working on this indigenous medicinal garden, but at the same time um, we are moving forward with a with a tree nursery 
with the intention of actually growing indigenous species that we can actually start planting pocket forests on our land. Our land is about, it's a little under eight acres, which is a crazy amazing blessing right within the city of Kigali. It's just sort of on the, the edge of the, the city limits. Um, and this parcel of this parcel of land we intend to actually have as a basically a model for what can be done in an urban setting that attends to things like reforestation and greening of cities while it's also attends to its its mission to see transformation of youth and young adults in the land Wow. And so we want to have this center whereby people can actually come and experience what is possible with some very intentional planning, um, some patient watching and engaging. Um, and yeah, I think I think it can be quite revolutionary because you know, using renewable energy sources at the same time, trying to do as much as we can to reforest that area without it consuming all of our land and showing our neighbors who will eventually probably be hotels and so on because we're now going to be at what will be the gateway to Kigali because the airport is going in just east of our community. Um, but at the same time, you know, like teaching the locals how to be super responsible with their soils not pouring a lot of chemicals into the soil, but instead using organics. I keep saying, what if we're the first fully organic sector in the city of Kigali? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, and so, yeah, that's, that's one of our goals. Like, yeah, let's, let's train the people, our, our neighbors, like how to actually utilize all this stuff so that we can have the richest soil producing the biggest, most nutritional crops you could ever imagine and wow. keep pouring into that soil. Yeah. I'll move there. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. That's <laughs> way healthier than anything we have access to right now. <laughs> right on our field and paraquat. Mm could go down the list <laughs> I know I know it's really really hard we've been super blessed though to connect with um the most astounding conservation agriculturalists in Rwanda and right. yeah I don't believe in coincidence I always believe in God incidents and certainly these people that he's brought to work with us are just oh, so inspiring so well I don't think it was by accident your son is a permaculturalist <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, he's so a businessman, but he's this is yeah. his passion. Yeah, which is so wild, so so wild. It is, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. crazy. But uh, what a family can do—the power of the family. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So, last question to just kind of tie up everything. You've been very gracious with your time with us today, so. Um, what does living on purpose mean to you? I know you kind of touched on it, but if you could wrap, if you could wrap everything up in a few, a few sentences, what would, what would that, what would living on purpose mean to you? I think living on purpose is really 
I think, I think the foundation of it is love. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I really believe that, um, that the purpose of purpose of life is, is to love. And, um, there always has to be an object of love too. And I mean, um, and which is outside of ourselves. Um, and so I, I really believe that, um, I think that's, that's the purpose for all of us. Um, and, um, how does that, how is that expressed though? And I think that's very individual because we're all unique and we're all, we all have a role to play in that. And um, I really think that the way I'm called to love is just to, like you were talking about, just being present with people and, you know, really hearing them and helping them to actually feel heard, not just listening to them, but actually really hearing them um, and engaging with them where they're at. Um, and, and it doesn't just stop with people. It's, it's, it's the land as well. It's like, it's again, everything that's being entrusted to us, but, but I really think that, yeah, that just sounds just really simply simplified, doesn't it? It's like, very simple and sweet, but so, so true. Yeah, I, I do think that's what it's about because I, I think our purpose really does lie outside ourselves. And I think, you know, especially for those of us that are blessed with a faith and knowing there is a divine architect, I think that, you know, to, to know that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves is astounding. Yes. It's astounding. And, and we're called to reflect who he is and he's love. Yes. And, and so it's like, what does that look like in my context? Well, my context happens to be Rwanda and just all the beautiful people and that I get to connect with through that, you know? Yeah. So. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's like when people, I, I always find it funny that in our society today, you have like Harvard studies of what is the purpose of life. You have mm. textbooks, you have, you know, just people always scrambling to find that answer. And it's just so simple. Mm. It's to love. Mm. Like you couldn't make it more, you can't make it more complicated than that. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and I do think we all love differently, right? Like, and, yes. and, and we have to be true to who we were made to be and just love the way we were created to be. So I think, I think it just has to flow out of our, our being, not, yeah. not necessarily. And sometimes it's out of doing, there's a lot of people that it's through service that they really love people, yeah. but it just has, you have to be true to who we were created to be, I think. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. And love that. And, yeah. you know, I, I love the way, like Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you, you got to love yourself. Too. <laughs> That's, it sounds kind of like selfish, but no, actually, if you can't love yourself, you don't do a very good job of loving your neighbor too. So 
hundred percent. Um, where can people find you? How can they support you? What, how can we, how can we, you know, just support you moving forward? Wow. Um, oh my goodness. Well, you can, you can find information about us at, um, www.hopeethiopia-rwanda.com and it's Hope Ethiopia and Rwanda because that's what the Rwandan government wanted me to keep so because we started in Ethiopia um, but and so I can I can give you all those that contact information Amy and um, but um, yeah we're actually sort of moving into this season now with this um, with this project on the land we're going to be looking to start building. And um, what that actually means is like, we're actually gonna be building quite a large center that's going to have, you know, a big training center. Um, so administrative buildings, uh, multi-purpose space. Um, so we can host like up to 150 people for like graduations and weddings and funerals and whatever, you know, just, you know, rites of passages, you know, and like significant life advance. Um, and we also have like our residence for women, residence for men. And we also are going to be building a volunteer home. We have a lot of volunteers that come in and work with us. And uh, so that's coming up in the near future. We hope to actually start building by next year. And, um, and we've been so crazy blessed with the most amazing architect. <laughs> who actually did yeah. some of the work at Bill Gates's actually like so Jim Cutler has agreed to he's actually done a lot of the design work for us and um, so and again we want to build like really earth friendly so using earth and timber construction um, and again renewable energy sources so um, so that's kind of something that we're we're looking forward to but currently you know we're if people are, are really interested in sponsoring kids to go to school, um, wow, that would just be amazing. And I think I mentioned to you before, Amy, too, that our, our men's program, yeah, that's, it's a hard sell. And it's, it's kind of sad that it is. Um, a, there are a lot of programs that work with women and children and um, because the success rate is really high. Um, uh, our men, about 65% of our men end up doing quite well. They get established and they become contributing citizens. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's hard to get people to sponsor men who have substance abuse issues. So yeah, people are interested in that. But to be quite honest, um, the greatest thing people can offer is uh, prayer. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that we can focus on praying for um i think uh stability in the region surrounding rwanda that's always uh, a bit of an issue um rwanda itself is very secure thank god for that um but also that um yeah that we can fulfill our call to um to see this next generation really attain their god-given destinies um we're currently working on trying to establish some businesses um, for our people to sort of bring them out of subsistence living and into, you know, up, up into middle class. Yeah. And so that's a big area and uh, that we're that we're working on right now as well, starting some businesses under hope to do that. Yeah. 
um, yeah, we don't want to see them just survive. We want to see them thrive, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Glenda, yeah. this has been amazing. Thank you so much for oh, thank you. your time and just, you know, your all of the things that you do for people and your sacrifice and just your generosity and your love. So with that thank being you. said, um, guys, thank you again for listening. A uh, reminder, if you have found value in this podcast, please don't forget to share. It really helps the podcast get um, uh, get exposed and it helps us out a lot. And also don't forget to subscribe. All right, we'll, we'll see you on the next episode of Purpose Driven Law. Take care. Okay.